Well, again, everybody, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us this morning. Um, like George said, my name is Nick. I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and we are just so excited that you're joining us here together. As we are doing this morning, we are starting back in our Love This Book series, and we are looking specifically at the book of Numbers. And last week, if you were watching online, you know that we didn't go through our Deuteronomy uh, lesson that we were looking to do, but we would encourage you to still do that in your devotional guide, still walk through that together and take time to even maybe do it with your family or with a couple of people in your home. We'd love to have you still doing that with us. Uh, this morning, like I said, we're going to be in the book of Numbers, specifically Numbers 13 and 14, as we look at Israel getting ready to enter into the promised land. And we're going to look at the story and some truths that we can take out of it, but also some tangible applications that we have exactly right here in this moment that we're living. And we're going to see a lot of similarities between Israel's circumstances and our own. In fact, this was a, a message that as I was preparing it, I was just struck by the reality that God knows exactly what was going to happen. That as I was looking at this message, I, I came to this understanding like God was not caught off guard by our present circumstances. It didn't shock him to see where we are today. Much like Israel's present circumstances did not surprise him. And as God works through that, he's also working through our moments as well. And so this morning, I would invite you, if you have your Bibles, to go ahead and open them up to Numbers chapter 13. If you're using uh, the Bibles that are in the online video app that we're using, that'll be on the right-hand side of your screen. And if you have one just that you're loading up on your device, go ahead and get that ready. And so the story begins with Moses being commanded by God to actually send some men to explore the land that he had promised to them. God had told Israel from the very beginning, he's like, look, you are my people, I'm your God, and I'm setting up a land for you to go to. And I'm gonna send you out to take possession of that land. And what we see in Numbers chapter 13, verses one and two is this, is God says to Moses, I want you to send some guys to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. God actually calls Moses to pick 12 guys, one from each tribe of the nation of Israel. And he does this not because he just wants to have a random number, but Israel is still a very young nation. And by taking one person from each individual tribe, he's helping to create unity within a singular nation. And so God goes, hey, take these 12 guys and send them into Canaan and have them explore it and come back to give a report so that the people know the land is good. And so what happens is this, is that Moses sends these 12 guys out into the land of Canaan and they see that the land is in fact good, but they also realize that the inhabitants of the land are extremely powerful. And it's this weird kind of juxtaposition where they're going, hey, this is really good, but this is really bad. And so a little bit later in the book of Numbers, chapter 13, verses 23 through 25, we actually read this, that when they, that's the 12 men, reached the valley of Eskol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes, and two of them carried down a pole between them, and along with some pomegranates and figs, and then they called that place the valley of Eskol because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off there. And at the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. So these guys were like, great, that's awesome. You, you found some fruit, big deal. But we need to remember the present context for Israel. They've been wandering through a wilderness, through a desert. It's not like grapes and figs and pomegranates just abounded. This was something that was radically new and exciting for them. And in fact, we're told that the, the cluster of grapes that they cut off, they actually they put on a pole between two guys to carry. This wasn't some small little pack of grapes that you find at the supermarket. 
This was a big deal. And so they put the fruit on these poles and they're carrying it back. And then they go back to give Moses a report. And what we see is in Numbers 13, verses 27 through 29, they actually give this report to Moses. They said, Moses, we went into the land to which you had sent us. And it does flow with milk and honey. And here's its fruit. But there are people who live there who are very powerful. The cities are fortified and very large. And we even saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. These guys come back, and they give Moses this report, and they're like, look, here's the present reality. Moses, there there is a lot of good stuff there, a lot of food, the milk and honey that God promised, that that when we were in the wilderness, and God said, hey, I'm going to call you to this land, and he made that promise that there would be milk and honey. He was right. There is that promise. But, Moses, there's all these people groups And they're really large and really powerful and frankly, really intimidating. And so what happens then is these guys, the 12, give this report, but then 10 of the guys begin to spread fear and panic among Israel. And in fact, what we see is as they spread this fear, this fear will lead to rebellion and that rebellion will actually lead towards anger against God. You see, these people, the 10 men, were, were so caught up in the fear aspect Rather than the promise, the the trust that they should have had in God, they focused on the fear. And they actually go out to the the Israelite community and they're like, hey, we need to let you know what's going on. And in Numbers 13, verses 32 through 33, we read this. And they, that's the 10 men, spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. And they said, the land we had explored, they devours those who live in it. And all the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. And we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. So here's what's going on. These 10 guys, they go out into, uh, into the nation of Israel. And they're like, look, check this out, guys. Um, they're, they're, there's a lot of bad stuff in this land. There's a lot of people who are, who are just really antagonistic. They're very large. They have very big cities. And they start to increase panic. And what happens then is they go, oh, and also check this out. There's a land there. The land, it devours these people. And like that should cause you to scratch your head for a moment because not only did they say, hey, here's all these bad things that are going on. Now the land devours them. So really the bad people are gone, right? But they go, well, hang on. It gets worse, right? It's not just that there's bad people and there's this land that eats them. In fact, we know that the people there are massive. They're like the Nephilim, you know, the descendants of Anak, and what they're saying is like the descendants of Anak were these massive giant people. And they're saying, look, they're huge. They're like these huge, massive giants that we don't know how to handle. And they're like, we look like grasshoppers. You remember those things in the desert that some of us ate? The things that we thought were really cool and really tiny and we stepped on and crushed them? That's what we are. And so they begin to incite fear and panic into the Israelite nation. And that leads Israel to rebel. And their rebellion then leads them to be angry towards God. Check out Numbers 14 verses 1 through 4. So that night, all the members of the community, that's all the members of Israel, they raised their voices and they wept aloud. And all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it have been better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. 
The nation of Israel at this point is in such disarray. They're at the point where not only are they angry and rebelling against Moses and Aaron, they're also angry and rebelling against God. Rather than trust in God, trust in the promise that he had given to them, have faith that the God who had brought them out of Egypt, that had spared them when the angel came through and took the firstborn, who allowed them to plunder Egypt, who took them out, brought them across dry ground in the Red Sea and destroyed the Egyptian army, who saved them in the wilderness. The God who kept his end of the bargain when Israel repetitively broke it. They had no faith in that. And instead what they did is they responded out of anger and rebellion towards God. They said, no, we're not gonna do this. It'd be better for us to go back to Egypt. And they actually begin to plan to install a new leader in place of Moses. Fear leads to rebellion, which leads to anger against God. And what we see here is that Israel was not willing to trust God. They were willing to give in to fear. They were willing to go back to where they were slaves over trusting the God who had freed them. And I think it's easy for us sometimes to look at Israel and go, wow, you guys are really kind of dumb. <laughs> you, you guys, like God, God has proven himself time and time again. How could you not trust him in this? But you know, I would actually say that there are moments in our lives when we tend to do this as well when we tend to allow fear to govern our response, when we allow fear, not our faith, when we allow fear, not the promises that God has kept, when we allow fear and not the creator of the universe to dictate how we live our lives. And I think this is our present moment, is it not? For many of us, we are living in a state of fear right now. The irony is not lost on me as I talk about fear and we're, we're communicating via electronic means right now. The reality is like there is fear in our culture. People are scared about what is happening. But we don't live in that fear. We can't live in that fear. And one of the truths that we have to realize from this story is this, is that fear does exist. But the presence of God is greater than our fear. You see, if Israel had simply seized upon that truth, if they had realized like, yes, this country is terrifying. Yes, there are crazy big people. Yes, the land is insane and it devours people. But our God freed us from the Egyptians. Our God brought us through the Red Sea. Our God saved us in the wilderness and promised us this land. If they had simply rested in God's promise, they would have seen that it is greater than their fear. It doesn't mean that fear goes away, but it allows us to see with new eyes to approach the circumstances with new actions and a new refreshed heart. God's presence is greater than our fear. And I think as we hear that, we're like, okay, that's, that's true, Nick, but like the reality of our present circumstances, like fear is all around us. Turn on the news, Nick. You will see the fear that reigns in our country, in our world at this moment. And I don't disagree with that. Much like Israel in that present moment was going, but Moses, do you see the present reality? How can you say trust God's presence when we look at the immediate circumstances? I think the second truth, though, is how we utilize the first. And it's this. We must rest in God's control or we will spiral 
out of control. We must rest in God's control or we will spiral out of control. You see, the only way that we can live in God's presence and acknowledge that it is greater than our fear is by resting in his complete control. You see, God was not surprised by the people who lived in Canaan. God was not caught off guard by the size of Enoch's descendants. Just like God is not surprised by our present reality and he's not going to be surprised by what's to come. You see, what God says is this, I want you to trust me. I want you to have faith that my promises are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. I want you to rest in the reality that I am in control even when it seems like this world is spiraling out of it. I am in control. You see, the way that we trust God's presence is acknowledging that he has been, is now, and always will be in control of our lives, our present circumstances, and what's to come. You see, the truth of this story is this, is that God was never, ever surprised by what had happened. He just asks us to trust him in the midst of those circumstances. A little bit later in the Bible, in the, in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter four, verses nine through 11, we read this. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. The writer of the book of Hebrews is hearkening us back to the nation of Israel. He's saying, look, look back. If they had simply rested instead of following their disobedience, if they had simply trusted in God, they would have seen the rest, the peace, the hope that he offers. And the author of the book of Hebrews is challenging us to do the same. He's saying, look, God rested. You need to rest. You need to trust. You need to have faith that God will protect and keep you in all circumstances, that he is working this out, that he knows what's gonna come. Do not let fear reign, but rest in him just as he rested himself. And I think it's easy to say, okay, these are great truths, Nick, but like, what does this mean for our present circumstance? Like, how, how do we actually embody this when, when we're being told to, to, to stay home, to socially distance ourselves from one another? What are we supposed to do with this? Well, I think there are a couple of tangible applications that we can pull from this text. And the first one is this is find space to slow down and rest in Christ. And for some of us, we hear that, we go, that's easy, Nick. That's what we have to be doing right now. In fact, that's what the, you know, the government has mandated. Like, I'm home from work. My kids are home from school. Uh, we don't have anything going on. Like, resting, slowing down is not a big deal. But there are others of us who are going, Nick, but you don't get it. Nick, I'm a first responder. I'm an essential employee. Nick, I work at the med center. And it is go, 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 Nick. We are working incredibly long hours. We are exhausted when we come home. Nick, how, how are we supposed to slow down and rest? Well, I think for the people who are already taking that, that measure and being forced to slow down, let me, let me say this. Slowing down simply and in, in not doing everything is not resting in God. Resting in Christ is when you actually say, okay, God, I'm gonna pause my life and I'm just gonna sit here for a moment for a specific amount of time and I'm just going to rest in you, whether it's reflecting on your word, God, whether it's singing your praises, whether it's doing a Bible study with my family, God, whether, whether it's just sitting in silence, I'm going to do that, God. 
I'm gonna rest in you. I'm gonna give you my fears and my doubts. I'm just gonna rest in you. And you're gonna carve out that time. Maybe it's after this, this sermon is done and after we're done worshiping together, maybe you're going to say, hey, hey family, let's shut off our devices and let's do our Love This Book devotional together. Maybe it's intentionally taking one night a week to cut out all the noise and simply resting in God's promise and his faithfulness. And for those of you who are running at 100 miles per hour and putting in all the hours with all the different things going on in our world at this moment, first, thank you. Thank you for what you do. But let me encourage you, when you come home and you are overwhelmed, when you are exhausted, and, and, and the craziness of life is just, is just grappling for your attention, and you're going, God, what are we supposed to do? Let me encourage you as you come home to lay all that at the feet of Jesus. To come home and say, God, here are my fears, my anxieties. God, God, I'm exhausted, God. I'm overwhelmed. And just to put it at God's feet and say, here, this is for you, God. Please, God, help me not to have a spirit of fear, but to rest in your presence. And I would encourage you, maybe in that moment, maybe it looks different for you for how you rest. Maybe you just sit in the silence and actually just breathe and acknowledge that the spirit of God is working. Maybe it's just singing along to your favorite worship song and just giving it all back to Jesus. What does slowing down look like for you? What does simply resting in the presence of God look like for you? The other application that I would encourage you with is this, is use your time to spread God's message. Use your time to spread God's message. And I, I know we say that and you go, but Nick, you have no idea, we can't. Like we can't go out, we can't high five people, we can't go into their homes and, and have Bible studies. Nick, we, I can't run up and hug people like I used to. I know, me either. And for some people, they're rejoicing that you can't do that right now. But here's the thing, and I wanna say this, okay, because you need to hear this. Just because our rhythms have changed does not mean the message or the mission has changed. Let me say that again because this is important. Just because our rhythms, our way of life has changed does not mean that our mission has changed. You see, we are still called to be ambassadors for the kingdom of heaven, are we not? We are still called to be people of God. We are still told that we need to love others as Jesus loves them, regardless of what's going on. Yes, the rhythm, the manner in which we do it may change, but the mission does not. We are still called to live with Jesus, love like Jesus, and lead others to do the same. So again, no, you're not gonna run through your neighborhoods and hug everybody you see walking their dog who's trying to keep their distance. But maybe what you're going to do is go for a walk as a family in your neighborhood and pray for the homes that you see, for the families inside. Maybe as you see that person walking their dog, maybe from a good and safe distance, you go, hey, how can we be praying for you today? And see what God does in that moment. Or maybe, maybe it's you going around your neighborhood with note cards saying, hey, I'm going grocery shopping. I'm going to brave the crazy can I get you anything? I'm going at such a time, here's my cell phone, text me what you need, I'll be happy to pick it up for you. Or maybe, maybe it's this, maybe you as a family say, hey, we're gonna start writing letters to our communities, to our firefighters, our EMTs, our police, our first responders saying thank you. We're gonna write letters to our nursing home, to the people who can't have visitors saying, we love you, we're praying for you, we want you to know we are here for you. Maybe it's encouraging people at our med center 
and finding ways by calling over and saying, hey, what can we do to bless your community? Or perhaps maybe it's saying, hey, we're gonna establish a blessing box in our community. And some of you know what this is. You, you get a box, you say, hey, we're gonna put items in here. If you need anything, take one. If you can leave something, leave something. And maybe it's taking it a step further and saying, hey, on the side, we're gonna leave a box where you can slip in your prayer requests, your needs, and we wanna be able to pray for you and to see if there's a way that we can further help our community. The mission hasn't changed, folks. The rhythm has. So how can you minister to your community in times such as these? Folks, we are not stuck. Israel was stuck in the wilderness. All they could see was the fear. We are called to be people of action, people who move and take the message of our Savior to those in need. How can you do that? Hebrews 4, the following verses 12 through 13 say this. For the word of God, is alive and active. Can I get an amen for that? That no matter our circumstances, the word of God is alive and active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword and it penetrates even dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Folks, God knows what is going on. He is not surprised nor caught off guard. He understands our moments, our circumstances. And he says, you know what? My word is still true. My promise is still true. My salvation is still true. The word of God, no matter circumstance, is alive and active. So what can we do as people of hope, as people of faith, what can we do to slow down and rest in Christ and still carry the mission to the people in our communities? My prayer, my hope for you, Hershey Free, is this, is that no matter what we are faced with, we rest in the promise that our God is alive, that our God is sovereign, that he has defeated the grave, he has overcome death and that he will overcome this present reality. And we serve a savior who loves us and saves us. A savior who has called us to be people on a mission. May we be people who don't react out of fear, but people who react out of a hope that our God reigns. May people, even in this present circumstance, still see Jesus in us as we live on mission together. Will you pray with me, Hershey Free? Father God, we, we, are not, we are not people who are bound by fear. We are people bound by hope, people who live in the truth that our Savior has overcome all. Thank you that you are neither surprised nor caught off guard by what is happening, but let us be people who live in that hope that our God is alive, that he saves. Let that be what drives us, Father, as we find new rhythms to take your mission to our communities and neighborhoods, Father. May we be people of faith, not of fear. May our responses be one of hope as we seek to live like Jesus, love like Jesus, and lead others to do the same. May we spread hope in our communities today, and we pray this in your name. Amen.